Sparkin' Conversations, a podcast for electricians, hosted by an electrician. The Electrical Association is committed to keeping electricians in the know about the latest developments in the industry. Experts will be on to help answer the tough questions, talk shop, and give tips to help make your jobs work. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Sparkin' Conversation. I'm Mike Miller, your host for today's presentation. Today we have Michelle Dreyer. Michelle is a member engagement and government affairs manager, and she is very busy. Try to find her in the office once in a while, and you're you're doing well. She's on the street and doing her job. And tell us a little bit more about that, Michelle. I am out there working for you electrical contractors, government advocacy, workforce development, and member engagement. That means that as part of my job, I am looking for new benefits for electrical contractors, ways to make your lives easier. But prior to coming to the Electrical Association, I worked for the Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry for 23 years. 18 years of that was the program manager for the prevailing wage division within labor standards and apprenticeship. So I am the compliance expert here at the association. And today, Mike and I are going to talk a little bit about prevailing wage. Um, Many of you might be mystified by prevailing wage and the regulations and avoid projects because they have prevailing wage expectations. Our hope today is to take a little mystery out of that and just talk about the prevailing wage law and what it might mean for you. What a great start to take a little mystery out of it. I think the first question I'd like to take a look at is what is the purpose of prevailing wages and the survey? Oh, well, prevailing wage was brought about during the Great Depression era as a way of paying local wages. And it has continued in Minnesota. The goal is to prevent out-of-state contractors from to come in and underbid local contractors. As such, any government projects typically require prevailing wage as a part of being awarded that construction project. A prevailing wage is uh, calculated through a survey. Here in Minnesota, that survey is performed every year, every year, 22,000 electrical, con- well, 22,000 contractors, not say electrical, because the prevailing wage survey does take a look at all different types of trades working on construction and set those wage rates. So 22,000 contractors are sent out wage surveys. Survey participation is voluntary. Those contractors can submit a survey for every project they've worked on in the past year. And the goal, it's a numbers game. So the most commonly paid wage in a given area for a given profession is the wage that prevails. The wages are calculated via mode to the penny. So that most commonly paid wage is the wage rate that will prevail as part of the prevailing wage survey. Okay, so I'm a contractor and and I have to pay a certain wage to my employees. Uh, Is that on all work like dwelling units, commercial, industrial, bridges, skyscrapers? Where does that fit in? You will know a prevailing wage project because the prevailing wage provisions will be part of the advertisement, along with the wage certification that will tell you as a contractor what you need to pay. Okay. And so as far as that, that's an hourly wage probably? Yes. The certification will include several data points. It's going to have a 
basic wage, it's going to have a fringe package, and it's going to have a total wage. A contractor can pay any combination of base and fringe, fringe being paid leave, health insurance premiums paid by the employer, 401k contributions paid by the employer, apprenticeship training paid by the employer, the total wage rate. So you can pay any combination of base and fringe as long as it equals that total rate. If you pay no fringe whatsoever, the contractor needs to pay the total wage rate on the certification. Okay. Well, Michelle, let's just move back to that wage survey. How does that work out? Again, you mentioned that it's done at certain intervals. What are those intervals? In Minnesota, the wage is uh, performed every year. So uh, for Minnesota contractors, April 1 of 2022 is the date of the next prevailing wage survey. And uh, labor and industry will collect those wage surveys for 60 days after the initial date of the survey. So through June 3rd of this year. For those unfamiliar with the survey, they're going to ask for certain pieces of information. They're going to ask for the project date. Well, the project itself, you know, name the project and its location. They're going to ask for the project date. That date has to be a date that has happened within the past year. So for this year's survey, they're looking for work performed April 1, 2021 forward through June third. They're going to ask the names of the individuals that worked on the project. They're going to ask for the rate of pay of those individuals. And they're going to also ask what you as a contractor are paying as far as fringe benefits for that particular worker. So the survey will include the uh, name of the electrician, uh, the electrician's base rate, the electrician's fringe rate, and then of course add those two numbers up to come with, to the total rate. And then you have to sign on the, the bottom of the survey that you are attesting to all the information that you're submitting to the department is, is true and accurate. And this is done annually. So that, in other words, uh, that data, once collected, is actually released annually. So the, the rate every year would adjust them. Correct. Correct. And the rates will be different from county to county on commercial construction. For highway heavy construction, uh, the survey is actually performed for 10 different regions throughout the state. But the commercial wage rates are uh, certified on a county by county basis. So what wage rates are paid here in Hennepin County are going to differ from the wage rates that are paid, say, in Yellow Medicine County. And Every year, contractors in Minnesota have the opportunity to change those prevailing wage rates by participating in the survey. One thing, you mentioned apprentices, and I guess I would just, as a, an interested listener, I would wonder maybe, uh, how does being an apprentice filter into the program? Are there some benefits of being a federally indentured apprentice or recognized by the Federal Department of Labor that are going to perhaps allow a an employer to pay a graduated step wage as opposed to a, a set wage? When it comes to prevailing wage, all laborers on the project site need to be paid that prevailing wage. There is an exception for individuals that are in a registered 
bona fide apprenticeship program. And this is different than someone simply having their registered unlicensed number. They actually have to be in a formal program. And the Electrical Association uh, provides the related technical instruction necessary for that registered apprenticeship. But you still have to go the one step further and register in the registered apprenticeship program with the Department of Labor and Industry. Uh, for members here at the Electrical Association, we do have a registered apprenticeship program where we take care of uh, the apprentice registration with labor and industry, where we take care of the wage schedules, which are based on the basic rate of the prevailing wage certification. So another reason why you would want to participate in the survey and actually attempt to set the rate. Our related technical instruction is recognized by both the Federal Department of Labor and Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry as a, a curriculum that meets the requirements of the 144 hours of related technical instruction necessary as part of a registered apprenticeship program. If you have an apprentice that is enrolled in this technical instruction and the bona fide apprenticeship program, they are then paid the wages in their apprenticeship agreement instead of the prevailing wage. So that would not necessarily be a percentage of what the prevailing is, but it would be more so a contractual agreement between the employer and the apprentice to determine that wage that the apprentice is paid. A bona fide apprenticeship program is a formalized wage schedule that is agreed to by the apprentice, the contractor, and the Department of Labor and Industry. And in cases of prevailing wage projects, the apprenticeship agreement is the governing document for purposes of paying that registered apprentice versus the total prevailing wage rate. And that probably is a pretty fair shake to the apprentice from the standpoint of learning the, the trade on the job and being paid fairly well for it. Yes, uh, related technical instruction is not something that is required in order for someone to gain their journey worker's license here in Minnesota. But many of our members realize that related technical instruction gets somebody to net producer status more quickly. Uh, they're a more productive apprentice earlier in their career, and production is key in getting that project across the finish line, whether it's a prevailing wage project or, or any other project that an electrical contractor is working on. One other quick question I have relative to the, the prevailing wage. We, we talked a little bit before we went on this afternoon about what jobs require that prevailing wage to be paid. Typically, prevailing wage is a requirement on state-funded construction on federal funded construction. There has been some push at the legislature to require anything that is RDA renewable development count to be covered under prevailing wage. Uh, some of the utility scale solar, there's been a push to make that prevailing wage requirement. So uh, legislatively, I am seeing more push to include more types of projects under prevailing wage. However, at this point in time, uh, it's the state-funded projects 
and the federal funded projects, and then some local ordinances. So some cities and counties like Minneapolis, Hennepin County, uh, may require prevailing wage as part of their project. Also, independent school districts will sometimes accept a local ordinance that would require prevailing wage in order to do work on their schools. Okay. Well, recognizing that the Department of Labor just announced earlier this month that the Department of Labor proposed rulemaking for the Davis-Bacon Act to help show the needs of the construction industry, uh, please explain, if you could, what this is and why it's so important. Oh, yes. So the Federal Department of Labor just issued a notice to engage in rulemaking in regards to the federal prevailing wage or federal Davis-Bacon Act. The uh, notice is 432 pages long. And to be honest, I have not read all of it yet. I read the first 33 pages. A lot of people are still unpacking what's contained in that very large document. My knowledge of Federal Department of Labor's survey practices is unlike Minnesota, where they are surveying every year. They survey more like every 10 years. And the bits and pieces of the rule that I have read, it is looking like the Federal Department of Labor is moving from their current uh, method of calculation, which is a weighted average calculation, to a more favorable calculation for union contractors. So currently, if 51% of the wages submitted as part of the survey are union then the union wage rate prevails. And then any time that the union contract is updated, the federal Davis-Bacon certification will be updated as well. The new rule is looking to make that 51%, 30%. So under the new rule, it appears that if 30% of the wages submitted as part of the survey are union, then the union wage rate prevails. If that union threshold is not met, uh, then the average of the wages submitted will be the wage rate that prevails. But under the new rule, they're also looking at surveying more frequently for not all wage classifications, but any wage classification that is non-union and prevails. They're looking at surveying those particular instances more frequently. Uh, so the new regulations are more favorable to the union contractor mindset versus merit shops that may pay a broader scale based on individual electricians' production instead of paying everybody the same wage rate. So the 30% rule, if that goes through, could have a significant impact on merit shops. What you will see is uh, Davis-Bacon wage certifications reflecting even more union wage rates. And because of the infrequent surveying of the Federal Department of Labor, there is not going to be a lot of chances to change that data through survey. So it would stay at 30%? It would stay at the union wage rate until the entire survey is performed again, uh, which could be 10 years from now. The Minnesota Department of Labor is requesting a supplemental budget to add 10 prevailing wage investigators to get ahead of the $6 billion in infrastructure dollars headed to Minnesota. That's a lot. How do you see that request being handled? 
Well, I do think that the Department of Labor and Industry is going to have an uphill battle uh, in order to justify uh, 10 full-time investigators added to their budget. As far as its impact on our members, as long as individuals are in compliance with the prevailing wage regulations, it will have no net impact, but it's a significant add to the number of investigators they have on site. With that many investigators, my guess is we might see more site visits from the prevailing wage team instead of just responding to complaints as they occur. We might see more investigations where they're going out on a project site and interviewing laborers in real time to determine that the appropriate wages are being paid. There again, if you're paying the appropriate prevailing wage right? You have nothing to worry about. I would like to just ask, Michelle, you mentioned you at one time working for DLI in the wage prevailing wage department. Was it common to find incidents of not paying the prevailing wage? Back when labor and industry received full enforcement authority at 2006, 2007, it was very common to find contractors paying an hour with no fringe benefits. So not necessarily electricians, but it was really common. Now, the, the last year or two of my career at labor and industry, we found more uh, payroll errors, things that were appeared non-intentional, and the investigations themselves were significantly smaller than in the early years. The industry as a whole, I believe, cleaned itself up, started abiding by the regulations and paying appropriately. Do you feel that with the changes pending, of course, with 10 additional employees keeping track of it, do you feel that there are going to be a great more or a lot more sightings of of people trying to get by the system and not pay what they're supposed to? That's not my belief, no. Good. That's good. It, It speaks well for Minnesota that we're trying to do it by the numbers and correctly. There's always a few. All right. Next thing I just wanted to run by was, uh, do you know what the $6 billion infrastructure dollars are here that are coming are to be used for? That has not been decided in, in its entirety. Now, the governor has a potential list of priorities where he would like to spend those dollars. The legislature is going to have to agree with him. And so many of those dollars will have to be appropriated legislatively. Uh, but we will see more infrastructure. Clean water, drinking water is is typically a good spend. Uh, roads, bridges, deferred maintenance is always a big one. Uh, The Department of Administration typically has a list of upcoming projects. And I know that uh, last year we had $1.8 billion in bonding that was released to the construction industry. And I'm hearing from some of our members that they're not seeing those dollars. So in particular, with these projects, um, I'm wondering if that particular member thought that maybe the in engineering of these projects are, are a holdup, and that's more the road construction. I'm hearing from the architects that they're not particularly busy, so I feel like large commercial construction is a, a weaker sector as far as construction is concerned. But I will let members know as as soon as I know if if appropriations are ever 
ever publicized. And I know that I did let members know earlier in an article as to what the governor was proposing as far as where dollars should be spent. Michelle, will the increased funds affect prevailing wages? And if so, how? Well, absolutely. If you're seeing more dollars coming from the federal government or for the state government to fund construction, prevailing wages will be a requirement of those uh, infrastructure dollars. So we will see a larger amount of government projects headed our way. That's kind of enlightening, I think, for our contractors. Of course, we're always looking ahead to see where we're going to I guess which app basket we're going to put our eggs in. And certainly this is something to be certainly mindful of. Well, Michelle, uh, I, I always ask our guests kind of toward the end of the program, uh, if they had a crystal ball and you were going to look ahead, say, four years from right now, based on the prevailing wage situation and all that we've spoken of as far as what is changing on the horizon, where do you see us? I do see a increase in some entities looking for more projects that are subject to prevailing wage, not just state dollars or federal dollars, but RDA dollars or utility scale solar. Also, um, I am seeing like the federal government did require PLA language on projects that are funded in whole by federal dollars. So uh, that is a trend. What I would recommend electrical contractors do between now and November is take a look at the legislators that represent them. And if any of those legislators end up on their doorstep this summer, because all state officials will be up for re-election this coming November. And there's a significant amount of retirements at the legislature as well. So when you meet those people, think about this discussion, ask the questions, ask how they feel, and then come November, vote appropriately as far as what meets your business needs. Legislators that are advocating for your business needs, choose those legislators. If the movement you're seeing uh, regulatory-wise is contrary to how you would like to see it to go, the best way to combat that is to use your vote to elect individuals that are going to advocate uh, for the ideals that, that you like to uphold. So a lot of our outcome pretty much is based on our leadership. It's definitely based on the individuals that we put into office through our elections. I I certainly totally agree with that. That's very sound advice. Well, Michelle, you've been a wealth of information for our listeners today. And I, I guess I would just ask, is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave them with? Well, I understand that prevailing wage can be difficult for some, uh, even even if you understand the political ramifications of it and you're just looking to comply that it can be confusing. I find it easy because of the number of years that I worked directly with the regulations. Uh, So I encourage members, if they are struggling with prevailing wage, to give me a call. And I can help talk you through it. I can take a look at your business. Uh, we can have a frank conversation. And, and I can help you navigate so that it's as painless as possible. 
Wow. That's really nice to know that you've always got a friend at the association and Michelle is here to help. Well, folks, that I guess at this point in time concludes our Sparkin' Conversation podcast for another week. We'd like to thank you for joining us and continue by checking wherever you download your podcast from. We'll be back with more. I'm Mike Miller, your host. Have a great day. Spark and Conversations is a production of the Electrical Association. For more information, visit www.electricalassociation.com. Right.